Fundamental Life Podcast. What's up, Matt? Nothing. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing phenomenal. I've absorbed so much Netflix the past three months. Right? I was thinking about that as we were preparing for this, how much TV that I've watched and uh, the many, many shows I've absorbed. Oh. I know you're a Netflix guy. Yeah, Netflix is good. I've been, I just got into Prime, um, you know, documentaries, different things like that, history. It's, you know, it's funny is uh, uh, I went up just recently painting again and dude, I'm out of shape. Like, yeah, we're all out of shape. Well, I think there's some that have taken quarantine to get in shape. I'm not one of them. No, man. Like I look at it and I should be prison fit right now and I'm not, I'm like, I look terrible. I like think you look feel, great. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, but I was on the ladder for like, I don't know, 45 minutes. I'm like, man, this is hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some good shows on Netflix, man. I've been absorbing, uh, uh, like I went through Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I told you about The Last Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh, dude. You got to watch The Last Kingdom. All right, I'll check everybody it out. Needs, everybody on, that's listening to this, go watch The Last Kingdom. Dude, who doesn't like Vikings? Yeah, Uhtred. Uhtred. That's all I got to say. Nice, dude. He's I'm the man. That's uh, the new Assassin's Creed coming out. Yeah, Vikings. And there's no movies, so. No, I saw the preview. It almost, seriously, it almost made me cry. I, w- I watched the preview to uh, uh, Wonder Woman, 1984, and I was all, oh, I want to watch that. <laughs> I was stoked for uh, it was the new Bond that was coming out, and then they postponed it. But in March, I think they postponed it till the fall. But hopefully, uh, you know, this spurs a lot of good stuff. I mean, we've all been on a major roller coaster. We've just been hanging out at uh, Lagoon, riding the Colossus, riding the old coaster, the old wooden coaster that's 100 years old. That's what it feels like life's been like because it's been a wild three months. Um, just in the economy for everyone's careers you know i feel really bad for those who had job losses and reduction it's just been um everybody's been affected at some level and so anyway let's get into what we're going to chat about my friend well i think that's uh you know one of the things that uh people ask us a lot about is buying a house especially right now because you know i've spent my time on netflix there's been a lot of people spent their time on zillow yeah, there has. And so it's, you know, looking at uh, price points, looking at buying a home, you know, what's out there, getting all stoked up on the new bathroom layouts and so on and such forth. And uh, one of the things that so many people call about that are first-time home buyers that have been surfing on Zillow is how much can I qualify for? And one of the biggest questions that uh, – they always ask is, uh, how much do I need down? Actually, I'll tell you, most people don't even ask that. Yeah. They just assume, <laughs> Hey, it's everybody's right to own a home. It's crazy to back up a sec. So I think going into this, there was two schools of thought. Is this going to really depress housing? Um, I talked to a guy yesterday and he was like, man, I, I need to sell my house. I need to sell my house. I'm just going to rent. And there's like, those people who thinks that think this is going to wreck the housing market. And there's people that are, are looking, at this as like, man, if I don't get in now, this is my opportunity. It's just been weird. And I think both of us, uh, had cause for concern, but a lot of people are looking to buy. And so we get those questions, people that maybe have been, uh, renters for a good part of their life. And, you know, what can I qualify for and what they can qualify for and what they're comfortable with are usually two different things. But one thing you and I have talked a lot about is um, people's ability, uh, if they do want to buy, what they need. Exactly. And that brings us to another of the four C's, and that's capital. What is capital? Capital is money that you can put into the transaction. And one thing that, uh, like a lot of people, they want to buy investment properties right now. They're like, oh, yeah, I want to buy an investment property. I'm going to be a property owner. And then I'm going to build a portfolio, and I'm going to have all these properties, and they're going to pay me rents. 
And that's a great idea. That's like, I totally like support that. I think that's great. I personally do not have any rentals. I had a rental and it was the worst experience of my life. And so I no longer have a rental. That's one of those, oh man, I don't think I'll ever forget that hangover because like I'm never going to have a rental again. Now, I know you have a rental. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's some work. You know, I think that uh, a lot of people believe or want to believe that uh, they're an entrepreneur at heart. And the reality is a lot of people are not. You, you're kind of born that way. You can learn it, but it takes, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of studying. Choose your teachers wisely. And uh, a lot of young people, you know, I say young people, like we're, we're old. We don't disclose the age, but um, a lot of people in their 20s, they think, oh, I'm going to acquire all these properties. They're, you know, they've been watching HGTV and they see vanilla ice and all these people doing home renovations and home makeovers and they think man that could be me like vanilla ice ain't that smart and so they they want to acquire properties it's a great thing it can happen it can work but uh, uh it's not built for everybody to your point no it's definitely true and that's uh going back to not forgetting the hangover is lenders have not forgotten the hangover and this um, investment properties is Man, it's something that lenders just, they have not forgotten how bad they got burned on those back in 2007, 2008. Because you think about it, if I lose my job or the market crashes, what house am I going to make my payment on? Is it going to be my primary residence or is it going to be my rental property? So, hey, I got a great idea. I'm just going to stop making my payment on my rental and keep getting rent. Ta-da. Yeah. It's it's crazy how much that happened or happened exactly in the, in the meltdown. Like those who are young listening, I mean, two thousand eight and nine were it was an absolute nightmare in the housing market. And to your point, lenders haven't forgotten that. And let's let's back up because you and I started late nineties uh, in lending and mortgage lending. Oh, and now, now you've kind of hinted to our age. That, that's true. <laughs> well, I started when I was like nine, dude. <laughs> so. I mean, back then there was there was all kinds of exotic and crazy programs, and uh, when we talk about capital, there were you, you had the ability to buy a home with uh, nothing down. Um, you had the ability to buy the home with very very little income, or to just state your income. And things changed, you know, and they've evolved, and it's been for the better. But back to capital. So someone comes to us and they say, "Well, what does it take to buy a house?" and Capital being uh, money that you have to put into the transaction, okay? And the way that a lender looks at capital is you have to have skin in the game. You've got to sacrifice and have some money that you're putting in to this purchase to show that you're committed to it because uh, it's very easy to let something go if you've sacrificed nothing to get it, right? And so let, let's let's kind of go through from baby steps as to what capital is, where can it come from? How much do they need? Like, what does it take to buy a house? Absolutely. Um, so, well, it depends on what you're going to buy. That's, let's just start there. If uh, you're a first time home buyer and you're buying a house to live in for yourself with your family, you can get in with as little as 3% down. But I heard, I heard there were no money programs. There are. There are. Um, I particularly do not write them. I don't do them. Um, there are a couple that are good, like uh, VA. If you're a veteran and you don't own a home, buy one because those are the best loans available on the face of this planet. And they should be. Exactly. Take care of the veterans. Take care of the people that took care of us. You guys made sacrifices, and so let's make sure to get you taken care of. In fact, the underwriting guidelines for a VA loan, I think, are probably the most competent um, as far as uh, disposable income. and you know. But just because you were a veteran, like if you joined the military and left after six months, you don't qualify for a VA loan. You gotta have, you've had to put in your stint. So, and those people... They know that. That's just for those non-veterans out there. You know, it's, uh, it is definitely for those who sacrificed for us. Yeah. Yeah. They still have to have income. They still have to have viable credit, although the, the credit scores are a little lower. They're phenomenal loans. So 
Oh, I'm tapping my mic. So 100% financing for a veteran. Um, you mentioned there's other programs. Let's, let's touch on that because I think that uh, sometimes first-time home buyers they think that these no-money-down programs are, are a good fit for them because they, they don't, they haven't sacrificed. And the reality is I am 100% with you. Um, although there are some hokey programs out there that will allow for uh, a buyer to buy a home with no money down, they're bad loans. And that's why we don't write them. We just don't believe in them. Um, for example, uh, not, not to dive too far into this, but for example, you can get a first mortgage, but then they stack what's called a second mortgage behind it. So it's another loan that you've taken out essentially for your down payment. Because of that, the first mortgage, the mortgage on the bulk of the purchase price, is really bad. And then they have this second mortgage that gets attached on there that's even worse, you know, rates in the uh, 11 to 15 percent. We don't believe in those. We don't we don't do them. We believe that, you know, it, it's a minimal sacrifice to uh, to buy a home. We can talk about and get into the actual terms, but we do these all day long with three percent down and that three percent can come from a variety of places. Yeah. And the the one thing with uh, those hokey loans with the first and the second two are the costs incurred to get them. I mean, they're typically double to triple the cost yeah, of the normal. I would say they're triple. And so when the door slams behind you and you own that home and you're a first-time home buyer and you owe 105% on your home, that's not a very good investment, you know? Um, now, you can bank on appreciation, but if that doesn't happen, you're kind of stuck. And that's why that's one of the loans that just, yeah, don't believe in those. Don't don't like uh, the uh, Chinua, Chinoka. <laughs> the Ch Ch Chinoa fund. Yeah, because it's like, you know, and this is no knock on anybody who writes those, but those are very expensive loans. And then the, the last loan that actually is a good loan, but people don't necessarily uh, look at it in the aspect of why it's good is a USDA, uh, rural housing. And basically that means that you have to live in a designated rural area. Now there are areas that are designated rural that are still desirable, you know, uh, Tooele, Grantsville, for those from Utah, you know, those are considered rural uh, parts of uh, Saratoga Springs down in Utah County. Eagle Mountain. Ex yeah, Eagle Mountain. Just some rural areas. Yeah. You can do 100% financing on those. However, they're very, very, very stringent on their income restrictions as well as what they'll allow you to qualify for as far as your ability to pay. So a lot of people that want to get into those as first-time homebuyers, you can't qualify for enough because you don't make enough to keep your what we call the debt-to-income ratio low enough. So, And we'll get into that in another podcast as far as capacity um but uh yeah like looking at uh, uh a typical buyer that comes to us whether it be from an agent as a referral from a previous client directly through our site or you know somehow gets in touch with us they 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 come in they want to buy a house they need capital let's talk about what that capital is so at the minimum if you're not a veteran and you're not qualifying for a USDA loan in a rural area, you'll need 3% down. So let, where can that 3% come from? It can come from, obviously, accounts that you have, checking, savings, any money that you've saved in any of your bank accounts. It needs to be what's called sourced and seasoned. It can't just drop into your account from some random credit card, or it, it has to be you know, sourced. We need to know where that came from. It needs to be seasoned. Seasoned means it needs to have been in your account for X amount of time. Um, it can come from uh, a 401k. You can pull a loan on your 401k. You can sell an asset. If you have a car that's paid off, if you have a motorcycle and you, you own it, you have the title to it, you can sell that asset and use that for a down payment. But one of the most beautiful places that it can come from is it can actually come as a gift from a relative. So if mom or dad, brother, uncle, grandfather, any relative that has the ability and is willing to gift you 
a portion of your down payment or all of that down payment, um, it can come as a gift. So lots of time. And, and another, another cool thing that we can talk about is, um, like we call it the kitty condo. I don't know if it's called that anymore, but we do these all the time where uh, a student is in college. Mom and dad have, have mom and dad have a little bit of money. Uh, the student maybe has a part-time job, you know, but the parent can go on the loan as a non-occupant co-borrower. Okay. So they don't live in the house. They still live in their home that you grew up in, but you want to buy a house or they want to buy a house uh, for you. Um, they can go on as a non-occupant co-borrower. They can gift you the down payment. And then instead of renting a dorm room or a, an apartment, you can have a house, live with two or three friends and start you know, gaining some equity. Now that, that option isn't available to everybody, but back to the down payment, it can come from a gift. And a lot of people don't know that. I am shocked how many people don't know that their down payment can come as a gift from a relative. Yeah. And the, the funny thing is, is one person you can get a gift from that most people don't think about is your spouse. True. So if your wife's not on the loan or your husband's not on the loan, they can give you the down payment or significant other. So you don't necessarily have to be married, you know, but you have to show that relationship. Um, and so say, for instance, your spouse goes and gets a signature loan for ten grand, and then gives you that money. That's okay. That is an okay thing to do. Yeah, because it's not a debt that you are, are obligated on. It's somebody else's debt, but they're gifting you, uh, gifting you that money. So three percent down is the minimum. Let's let's go into a couple of like really awesome programs. So there's what's called the home ready loan, and there's what's called the home possible loan. These are two loan programs. Required down payments three percent. You have to be a first time home buyer, and there are some income restrictions. Without diving into uh, the income restrictions, is it sixty four grand uh, a in year? Salt Lake in Salt Lake County? Yeah. It's it's median household income. 80% of the median household income for the area. And with home ready, um, yeah, you can actually do it even if you're not a first-time home buyer. Yes, you can. But the income restriction is a big thing. Now, if you don't fit one of those two, don't be like, oh, man, I got I to gotta save more. I don't, I don't qualify. You can still do 3% down. The loan is still phenomenal. It's just a little bit better on the home ready and home possible. But you, we can still do 3% down on just a conventional loan. So one thing, uh, sorry, go uh, ahead. I was just going to say on that one, you have to be a first-time home buyer. Yes, yes. Now, uh, why are we not talking about FHA? Because mm -hmm. everybody comes in and they're like, man, you know, a first-time home buyer loan, FHA. In the past, FHA was a phenomenal uh, option, and it still is. But more often than not, a conventional loan at 3% down is better than FHA's loan, where, which requires 3.5% down. But FHA will go down to uh, lower credit scores. Um, they'll sometimes allow for a higher debt ratio, which we, we'll talk about uh, when we get into income. But um, FHA isn't always the best option. It's an option, but if your credit's sufficient and the file's really, really clean, um, there's some better options. Exactly. No, that's that's the biggest thing is just that minimal amount down. And this is relatively new. That's why, like, a lot of people don't know about it. It used to be Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, conventional loans. It was, you had to have 5%. When I started a mortgage, it was 5% down on a purchase. Um, in fact, it's funny. It was uh, the maximum you could refinance is 90%. When That's I started. Right. That's right. So it's a long time ago. Again, you're giving me that my <laughs> age, man. What's up? So one thing that I encounter uh, probably uh, not weekly, but several times, two two to three times a month, is I'll talk to a homeowner and they're like, "Man, what about mortgage insurance? What about this mortgage insurance?" So just to dispel like all the myths, um, if you're talking to your grandpa, you know, and he's giving you guidance, get a different teacher because things were different in the '50s than they are now. Um, you don't need 20% down to buy a house. Now, if you put less than 20% down, you're going to have what's called mortgage insurance. 
but it's so minimal nowadays. Um, the the rates on those um, ha, have gone down substantially. I, the reason I say bring this up is two three times a month I'll have a home buyer come in and they've they've saved twenty percent. I, I took a nap from a guy. Uh, what is it? Uh, Monday Tuesday of this week. And he and his wife had saved 20%. I gave him like mad props, like kudos to you for saving 20%. Um, they they f- thought they needed to do that, you know, to have a full 20% down. So on a $400,000 loan, that's 80 grand, you know. They've been renting while they've been saving up their 80 grand. Reality is they probably could have bought three or four years ago, had this minimal MI payment on there and been taking advantage of appreciation during that whole time, not throwing their money away in rent. So you don't need 20% down. Um, matter of fact, with the rates where they are right now, um, I, even if you got 100% down, why would you buy the house cash? Take a loan out. It's like cheap, cheap, cheap money. So um, we th- these are for owner-occupied. We should probably clarify. Like yeah. These are owner-occupied, meaning this is the home that you're going to lie down in at night. This is where your bed is. This is where you're sleeping, Okay not because we, we start off by talking about investments. Yeah. So you can't buy an investment property with 3% down. No, it did. It, it doesn't work that way. Like there's too much risk in uh, for a lender. So they want a minimum of, it used to be 15. We can still do it at 15, I believe, but 20% down is really the minimum to buy an investment property. And really you need 25% down to get a sexy loan, a, a great loan. Yeah, no, for sure. And that goes back to not getting over that hangover. Because in 2006, seven, we were doing 100% financing on investment properties. And um, when we, Steve and I had the opportunity to sit on a, a advisory board with what, 12 other people. And they had the CEO of Freddie Mac come in and sit down and talk to us. And, like, we gave him feedback on products, programs, different things of that nature, and, like, where we thought Freddie Mac could improve. And somebody talked about less money down because they used to have a program that was 1%. And he said, listen, we ran that program for a little while, and we're, we got out of it because we are not about having people not have an investment into uh, a loan because they are more apt to walk away from it. They're more apt to say, you know what? I didn't really like living here anyway. Or they get a job offer somewhere else and they're like, well, I only put 1% down, throw the keys on the roof. And it's the same way with um, investment properties. And so that's why lenders, they want you to have so much skin in the game that you will not let that property go. And I use the example of our building where we're sitting in right now. Back in 2008, is it, or was it 2009 when it was finished? I don't know what story you're telling. Oh, well, we, we, we moved in in 08. Oh, okay. Yeah. So March of 2008, we moved into our building, and we had built the building. When we moved in, we were upside down, I don't know, 200 grand mm-hmm. into our building, and we were already out of pocket, probably close to 400. And so it was like... I wasn't going to lose that money. Even yeah. though we were upside down, I wasn't going to lose we're, that. We're married to it. Exactly. You're married to it because you put, I mean, money, you, you got to work for money, yeah. right? We, no, no, we didn't win the lottery. Like, you have to work for this money. It's it's hard work. It's blood. You've saved. And when you put it into something, by God, you you don't want to lose that. Yeah. And it's the same with lending. You know, it's it's to your point, it's exactly the same with lending. Lenders know that if a borrower has skin in the game, um, they're going to give them better terms a little bit, um, but they're, the program's going to become available. Exactly. It's almost like, you know, I look at all these people that spend all this money on, you know, uh, plastic surgery for their spouse. They want to stay married. They really, I mean, I've invested thousands of dollars <laughs> into making you look beautiful. I don't want you to leave now. That's a great analogy. Because now all of a sudden somebody else is going to enjoy the fruits of my labor. Yeah, somebody else is going to enjoy all that stuff. Yeah. That ain't right. <laughs> no, not proper at all. Trophy wife. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Then another uh, uh, thing that we do a lot of, particularly right now, um, here in Utah, is we have Park City, we have St. George, and these are uh, two, I would say, re- resort destinations 
but you can buy a second home. And a lot of people do that. They buy a second home in Park City or St. George. They can go down to St. George, which is a warmer community in the winter. Or they can go up to uh, Park City and you know, spend nights um, in the winter and go skiing or hang out there in the summer with their family. So to buy a second home, you need 10% down on the purchase. Um, now, the one caveat is you've got to be able to qualify with your primary residence, any ancillary debt plus the payment on the second home because it's not a rental. Um, but a lot of people have interest in buying a second property and the minimum down for that is 10%. You don't need 20. Um, you can't do it with three. Again, lenders are willing to lend money, but you got to have skin in the game. And if it's not where you lie your head down at night, you know, you're more apt to let it go. So the one thing with that too, that they just changed last year, which is actually really cool, is it used to be when you'd buy a second home, you had a second home writer to your to your note or your deed of trust. And it would it was spelled out that, hey, you cannot rent this. Oh, this is a really good this is a good point. Yeah. And it's you know, you cannot rent this, period. Because this is your secondary residence that you're going to live in part of the time. Well, after Airbnb and, you know, all of these... VRBO and... Exactly, yeah. All of those, they, they opened it up and said, you know what? You can let people stay there. You can collect rent. However, you have to be in control. So, like, basically that you are the one who ultimately decides when you're going to stay there. You don't have to, like, schedule yourself. So that suddenly opens it up. Now, we can't use that income to qualify for a purchase, but on a refinance down the road, you can. Yeah, and that, uh, that's been a big, like, I guess, source of content. Not source of contention. That's not the right way to put it. I guess question mark with uh, second homes because a lot of people buy second homes and yeah, maybe they stay there, I don't know, 20 weekends a year or 15 weekends a year and then it just sits vacant. And they're like, well, dude, like it's vacant. Can I might as well generate a little bit of revenue from this. Is that, is that, is that kosher? Like, am I being ethical? And to your point, like you can do that and you can rent it out when you're not using it, but you have to maintain control over it. It's a really, really good point. And the other thing with a second home, it used to be that you could only buy a second home in a resort town and they've opened that back up that you can buy a second home other places. Now, obviously it has to make sense. If you live in Riverton, you can't buy a second home in Draper. You know, but if you live like, uh, let's say you work in Chicago, but your family lives in Utah, you can do that. Right, right. Yeah, you just can't buy uh, you can't buy another home in your same zip code. I don't, no. If you don't like your spouse, you just sleep there and like, I don't know. It's uh, a lot of people try to do that. I had a, I had a guy that was lived in a $1.4 million home like a few weeks ago, tried to tell me he was buying a $278,000 home in Eagle Mountain. And I'm like, my man bro. Like the optics don't look very good on this. I pretty much know it's not a second home, but he wanted the minimal amount down and he wanted the better terms on the loan. And it's like, let, let's take a step back. Like you and I both know this isn't happening this way. So um, it's, I mean, there, when you, when you look at capital, it's, it's crazy to think that there's people out there renting. Um, maybe they're paying two grand a month and they put a deposit down up front when they rented that property. Maybe it was, you know, First month's rent up front plus uh, plus the deposit of two grand. So they've already parted ways with four grand, right? If if they would, and when when you close on a home loan, more often than not, you're not going to have a payment for forty five or sixty days, and so three percent is not as big. It's not as daunting as you would think. Most of the time, the seller will pay your closing costs. So, and then when you move in, you may not have a payment for up to 60 days. So parting ways with 3%, putting those funds together is not that hard. It's just, it's really not. It's sit down, call a broker, call someone that you know in lending, have that conversation with them and start to get, you know, your train built and on the track so you can get into a house. Absolutely. And that's... You know, you talk about uh, the, the deposit on, you know, rent. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get that back. 
And if you get that back, you know, that's where it's like, oh, okay, well, I have this money that's saved that I'm going to roll over into something else to rent. Why not roll it into a house? Yeah, yeah, it just uh, it just makes sense. So let's talk, you know, with 401ks. So we deal with a lot of people that come in, um, maybe they're in their 20s, late 20s, 30s, they've never owned a house, but they have this 401k. Um, I, I and This may be, you, you have to check on this, but... I had a client just pull out, uh, I can't remember the amount. I want to say it was right around 20 grand. And she actually didn't have to pay tax on it. Um, so there's some loopholes and things like that where, as long as it's used for the purchase of a primary residence, you may not get taxed on the money if you pull it out of your 401k early. But even if you do, those loans are always available. If you have a 401k and you, the funds are in there, you can pull on it and use that uh, as a down payment on, on your home. Yeah, and I know this is this is a a, a point that I was going to make is uh, with that it's going to depend on who the four hundred one k is with, but uh, if you're a first time home buyer, this is where it's awesome. Like they they have certain things as far as like being able to pour, uh, pull out of your four hundred one k and not getting taxed on it and different things like that. But so many times people call and say, "Hey, I'm a first time home buyer." Well, guess what? If you haven't owned a home in the last three years, you're considered a first-time home buyer. Oh, that's true. Very true. Good point. And so that's why we got you here, man. You think all the you think all the little stuff. Yeah, it's all the little random pieces of knowledge. I mean, people talk about you know random knowledge, and hey, I should be on Jeopardy because sometimes, like, I'll just pull this stuff out, and like, that's the great thing about having uh, that type of random knowledge. Is sometimes it's useful. Yeah, one, you know, we've in 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 our first couple of podcasts, I think we talked about uh, find a broker, you know, find a mortgagebroker.com, uh, actually go with with a broker as opposed to a bank. So this is one of those reasons why. So this is all we do. I mean, we don't do credit cards, bro. We don't do deposits, we don't do auto loans, we don't do anything. All we do is mortgage. And if you're dealing with a mortgage broker, that's all they do. They're not they're not selling insurance on the side. They're not this is all they do. And so all these little caveats, all these little trinkets are uh, uh, available as long as you're using someone where this is their career, this is their expertise, this is all they do. It's surgical. Like if you if you need brain surgery, you don't go to a podiatrist. Do you, even, do you know what a podiatrist is? Yeah, it's a foot doctor. Yes, it is a foot doctor. So because, you know, yeah, he probably knows a little bit about the brain and the human anatomy, but he operates on feet, dude. Like, you're not going to go to him to work on your brain. You got a brain tumor, you go to someone who's a specialist. And the same the same with mortgage. It's not that you can't, it's not that you can't get a loan at uh, Bell's Wargo, but uh, uh, you're probably not going to get the best loan. Or, you know, there may be some things that could be done to give you a better loan. So use a broker, man. I don't care where you are in the country, where you're at listening to this. The, the, the three people that are listening to this right now, you know, <laughs> you go and uh, find a broker and, you know, someone who's an expert because they can give you all these little details and uh, it's just beneficial for you. And that way you go into it with confidence and you know that you got the best deal that you could possibly get. It's kind of like buying a car. Like I just bought, uh, my son and I just bought a car and when we walked out, like, man, we felt like super good about it because we did a lot of shopping. When we walked out, we were like, we got the best deal we could possibly get. And it's good that that feels really, really good to know that you got the best deal available to you. Oh, for sure. And that's, uh, you know, dealing with homeowners and especially with somebody that is uh, an expert in their field, they're going to be able to explain it to you in thus a way that you can understand. Um, I had a client yesterday. He was so stoked. He was like, dude, I can't believe I understand this this is amazing. And I was like, yeah, dude, it's like, it's this, this, and this. He's like, I've never understood it. This is my eighth mortgage and I've never understood how any of this works. <laughs> and so I told him, I was like, well, I think it's your teacher personally. I don't think that you're a good student. I think it's, it's your the teacher. professor. It's the professor. <laughs> <laughs> so like when we, uh, when we talk about first time home buyers, buying a second house, buying, uh, buying an investment property, you know, as a consumer, as a home buyer, you don't need to be the guy who knows everything, but you do need to have somebody that does. And if you don't, 
you're just you're you're not gonna leave that transaction feeling like, man, I really got the best deal. Chances are you're gonna be at a barbecue in three weeks, and someone's gonna say like, yeah, I used so and so, and they did this and this and this, and you're gonna be thinking in your head, man, why didn't my guy do that? Why 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 didn't that? How come nobody told me that? Well, again, you know, if you're if you're using one of these banks that uh, has got someone that's not really a surgeon, then uh, it's gonna hurt you. So. Um, are we going to, do you want to talk about income or do you want to dive into that? And then probably in the next one, cause that's a long, long, long conversation. Yeah. The one thing I would talk about is, uh, you know, uh, people have this idea of buying a home and then, uh, keeping it and then buying another house and you can do that. You can, that's how some people build, um, an investment portfolio. For instance, that's how you ended up with your rental property. Mm-hmm. And so that's uh, that's something that you can do. And a lot of like first-time home buyers tell me, like, oh, I'm going to buy this house, and then I'm going to keep it and rent it. That is a great idea. That is a wonderful idea, and I encourage you if that's what you want to do. Just know that there are some pitfalls with that. It's people, um, when they make an investment in a 401K or an IRA, and you pull your money out of it, you have to pay tax on it. You have to do different things, right? And so a lot of times people won't touch their 401k. Oh, that's my retirement. I'm not touching that. Well, the same goes with an investment property, except even more so. If you have an investment property, you have that asset tied up. You cannot get that equity unless you sell it. And if you sell it, then you're going to pay capital gains on it. Yeah. And capital gains, 35%. The caveat to that is if you own a primary residence and it's been your primary residence for two years, um, you can sell your primary residence. Let's say, I mean, in Utah, there's people walking away with that put 3% down that are walking away with 50 grand, you know, 50, 60 grand to two and a half years later because there's been some appreciation, they've paid it down a little bit. Um, if you make that kind of money on your primary residence, you can just take it to Wendover and double it, and then you got 120 to put down on your next house. Whoa, whoa. dude, triple it. Triple it, yeah. But you don't get taxed on it, and that's the beauty of it. Whereas if you have a primary residence, you convert it to a rental, and then you say in eight years, I'm going to sell it now and, you know, take it's gone up a hundred grand. I'm going to take the proceeds and, you know, do whatever with it. You get taxed on it and it sucks. I've, I've dealt personally dealt with that. And even though I'm in the industry and I know the repercussions, um, it's stung a lot. And so, but with your primary residence, if it's been your home the last two, two of the last five years, I believe is what the, what the guideline is right now. Um, you can take the proceeds and you're not going to get taxed on it. And so um, it, that's that's a really, really good point. Yeah. And just because in, in case somebody else from a different state, 35% is what it is in Utah because it's 10% state and 25 fed. Yeah. Yeah. Which stings. Stings bad. Hate taxes. Man. Taxes suck. Dude, seriously. <laughs> we just paid taxes. Yeah. So in the, in the uh, what did we talk about in the last two? Like, my memory's fading me. We talked about uh, credit. Credit. Um, talked about, um, I don't know, there, no, there's the four C's. So credit, <laughs> capacity, collateral, um, and capital. So yeah, all the, credit scores, the big, yeah. The big thing is uh, obviously you got to have credit. Like you, you, if you don't register a credit score, boom, you're not buying a house. It's not going to happen, right? If you don't have a down payment, it's not going to happen, right? And you know, everyone uh, thinks about job, and you do need, uh, you do need a job. You do need income, and we'll talk about the stability of that income, what it looks like, and uh, what you need. You know, probably in the next podcast because that is a lengthy. A conversation and actually what qualifying income is because people call up and they're like, yeah, I make, uh, make X amount. And you're like, well, are you, are you base? Are you is it commission? Is it, so we'll dive into all that stuff. The other thing was rates. Is that what we talked about in the, yeah, fir- very the first, first podcast? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's been, when I say roller coaster, dude, 
oh my gosh, like the the wood roller coaster crashed down and then they built it back up and we climbed back on the feds met yesterday. It has been like all over the board and it's actually really, really attractive. Kind of what we thought well, four or five, six weeks ago is that things would improve. Right. And they definitely have improved. Um, they're, they're, they're better than they were, but more than anything, and correct me if you don't agree with me, but there's some more stability. We're not stable, but there's more stability in the market. And when things are stable, take, for example, your personal finances at home. If you've got money in the bank, steady income, you can make clear decisions, right? But if you don't know, you know where you're going to get your next paycheck, you're broke, uh, you, you, you don't have a clear head. You can't make clear decisions. The economy rates, that's uh, the same way. Like when there's clarity, things can get more honed in. And I think that's what's happened with rates is there's been a little bit more clarity. Oh, yeah. And we're dealing with so many unknowns. That right. was the biggest thing is nobody knew what the long-term effect would be. And we still don't, you know, to an extent. So, I mean, other than, you know, my Amazon Prime, I still don't know why I pay for it. Because, anyway, whatever, that's another story. But you get um, Prime Video. I, yeah, that's true. I get Prime Video. You don't just have to watch Netflix, bro. Yeah. And that's what I've been watching lately a lot of. But it's, uh, I want my stuff. Like, when I order it, <laughs> I want it tomorrow. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. Like, I'm not a patient man. I mean, if I, how am I supposed to impulse buy something and then wait a week. It sucks. I totally agree, man. That's why it's so nice. You got a little downtime. You're bored at work or you're just fed up with work. You can hop online, buy something. Prime shows up the next morning. It's like, but now it's like two weeks. And by the time it gets here, you're like, what in the hell did I order? I don't even remember ordering this. <laughs> right? That's it. one of my favorite memes I've ever seen is like, it was a credit card sitting on uh, a keyboard and it was all, oh. I wonder what my drunk self bought my sober self for today. <laughs> and that's that's the great thing about Prime. You get on, boom, buy it, and stuff shows up. <laughs> anyway, but um, as far as stability is concerned, that's, uh, we're like you said, I think we are a lot more stable. We know that it's not going to be as bad as people had anticipated, but we don't know the full extent. And so because of that, it has improve things a lot and i think it's going to continue to improve and so for those people that are like dead set on i have to refinance today just be patient if i tell you just be patient give it a little bit trust me this is what i do every day there's so many factors for some people it makes a lot of sense today today for others, it's like, you know, let's hold off till August. So many different reasons that, you know, we're not, we're not going to dive into any of those reasons. But, again, just using an expert. So just to kind of to wrap this thing up, like when, we, when we've talked about rates and we've talked about capital and credit and basically just financial literacy. If, if, if you are a parent listening to this, just start to educate your kids at a young age as to what you know, mortgages, how do you qualify? What do you need? Just be financially literate. Um, it's, 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 it's as important as knowing English. You know, it really, really, really is because you can cost yourself a lot of uh, money and you can miss out on a lot of opportunities if you don't have that literacy with how to deal with your personal finances, how to get a loan, what is interest, what is appreciation on a home, what are the risks of owning a home, is it for everybody, should my grandparents do a reverse mortgage? What is a reverse mortgage? These are all like you, you need to have some level of education. And that's what we're hoping to provide, right? I mean, I feel like uh, uh, this, is, this is what we do. I consider myself an expert. Like Malcolm Gladwell uh, is one of, my, one of my favorite authors. Not that I'm a big reader. I'm like going to admit that. Just I don't want anyone saying, hey, you said you read. No, I don't read. I listen to audiobooks <laughs> and I listen to a lot of podcasts because – I'm the guy who has a hard time reading a full book. I just give me the cliff notes, you know, the periodicals. But when you look at Malcolm Gladwell, uh, one of the things he talked about uh, in Outliers was it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert in something. And that really resonated with me. Um, you know, he uses the Beatles in a, as an example. And without diving into his book, if you go and, and listen to uh, uh, maybe some of his podcasts or you could read the book, 10,000 hours is what it takes to become an expert in a field. 
And if you do the math, that's eight to 10 years, maybe 12 years, six if you're really grinding. But, you know, we've been doing this for 20 plus years each. 23 this month. Yeah. But yeah. Little, little known fact, Matt actually hired me in the 90s. And uh, I sat across his desk with a little notebook and just wrote down notes, phrases, knowledge that I still use uh, to this day. And uh, when I started in lending, I knew very, very little. I was, a, you know, I was, had to be a quick study, right? I had a little kid on the way. But uh, uh, it's been awesome. And I think the literacy that we can share with people is really, really beneficial. And when they leave us, it's rewarding. Like, we're not just here to get uh, a paycheck and pay our bills. There's a reward of, like, really hooking people up with the best options available, putting them in the best loan, and... What's crazy is I'm going, to kind of, I'm going to tout our own horn a little bit. So when, when a previous client gets their credit pulled, it's a simple system that we have, and it, it lets us know that, hey, you know, so-and-so that you closed 18 months ago had their credit pulled. Usually it's us. Like very, very little do we ever have someone that doesn't come back to us. Matter of fact, we get their kids. We get, uh, you know, the relatives, a lot of referrals. And I take pride in that. I think we both do. We both take pride in what we do. This is our career. And so just use an expert. And, you know, if, if it's not us, fine. You know, we're not, we're not great-looking dudes. We're kind of schlitzes. But we do know what we're doing. For sure. And that's uh, – I do. And, you know, I, I, take, I take that as a compliment, you know, that you say that. So I appreciate that. And that's, that is something that I think uh, means a lot to both of us is uh, – taking pride in our work. And there's a difference between having a job and having a career. And there's a difference between, you know, I'm going to quote my dad right now, even though I'm kind of mad at him, but whatever. Um, he told me once a real man could tell the difference between a job that's done and a job that's good enough. And that's where, you know, I've, I've taken that to heart. And when a client comes in, I want to make sure they get taken care of. And so, it, you know, like I said, it, like Steve said, you don't have to use us. He is a 10. I will tell you that right now. I've always bragged him up. He is a handsome man. I know my number. I'm a 7, period. <laughs> I am a solid 7. But when you hear me talk, it's kind of like a plus 2. That's why clubs <laughs> never worked for me, you know. I always picked up my girls at – uh the perfume counter, the unlike you, I like to read. So the bookstore, and I'd use I'd use great great lines like, "Hey, what's up, baby? Yeah, I like my women like I like my books, hard, bound in leather, and in between two sheets." <laughs> Man, worked every time, every time, and I'd be like, "Yeah, baby, come on over here, check out the love, massive, massive love." You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Anyway, one, one last thing that I wanted to just mention uh, about not always being <clears throat> the right decision to buy a home. You know, if you're a college student and you think that you're, you need to buy a house, not always the case. You know, look at where you're going to end up in two years from now. Look at where you're going to end up in a year from now. If you have this asset that you're married to and now all of a sudden you got to you know, pick up and move, whether it's because you graduated and now you have a job somewhere else or different things like that. And I had a college student talk to me the other day and they're like, well, you know, we're going to be here for about a year and a half and then we're going to go to graduate school and it's going to be in a different state. And I was like, you know what, just, just keep renting. And they're like, well, we don't want to throw away our money. Well, you're not throwing it away because you have somewhere to live. And what you're doing is putting your credit at risk. Yeah. And uh, there's one of the things uh, is you never really truly know what's going to happen next year or the year after with real estate. If you look at business cycles, um, you should look at a seven to 10 year period, but even longer, like look at a 20 year period, real estate does go up, but it also goes down. And so if, as it trickles up, it may go down a few clicks and then up and then down a few clicks. But over a long business cycle, yes, they, things will appreciate but if you say, I've got to sell this home in 2023, I can't really tell you what that home is going to be worth in your market in 2023. Matter of fact, nobody can. And if anybody tells you they can, they're lying to you, okay? Because there's no way to predict all of that. But 
owning a home is it's a beautiful thing. It's a great asset to have. There's a lot of tools that uh, uh, when you own a home that you can take advantage of, the interest deduction, um, renting it down the road, gaining uh, an asset that you're paying down, it's appreciating, but uh, it doesn't provide you the flexibility that someone like that would want. Hey, I've got to move in 18 months. You know, the suggestion is maybe consider just renting, you know? And so, again, just to kind of to wrap up, that financial literacy is just so, so important. And uh, I think the takeaways here are, you know, watch uh, Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. You know, dive into uh, your Netflix account, but definitely watch The Last Kingdom and uh, uh, find a mortgage broker. Even if you uh, own a home and you're like, man, I, I read, I saw a statistic, $11 trillion worth of mortgages, $11 trillion could benefit from a refinance, meaning they could save money on their mortgage if they just looked at a better option. So, you know, call, find out, you know, we, you and I, and I think that any responsible uh, lender is going to look at a deal and say, you know what? Yes, this works. Or you're good. Just stick with what you have. We could lower it a little bit, but the costs out, outweigh the savings. Just stick with what you have. We tell people that all day long. It's not like we're going to pull a warm, dark sheet over and be like, come here, we're going to take your money. This is not how it works. So, um, yeah, the last kingdom and find a broker. And if you're looking to pick up on chicks and you're a solid seven, perfume counter. I'm telling you, it worked every time. I'm buying perfume for my mom. They thought I was thoughtful. (laughs) All right, guys. Appreciate you listening, and we will catch you on the next one.